physician, a company doctor, and a fund manager walk into a wine bar. That's our theme this week. Uh, g'day, welcome to Lunch Money. Uh, we're um, we're the, the home of uh, workouts and uh, special situations uh, on YouTube and on podcasts in Australia uh, until I'm challenged otherwise. Brought to you by Hermes Capital, hermescapital.com.au. Uh, please click, share, like and subscribe um, wherever you are watching or listening. Um, we've got a great uh, lineup of panelists today. From uh, we've got an industry specialist from the wine industry. We've got uh, turnaround uh, specialist, and we've got a doctor today. And I, I think we'll start off with our our first guest um, today. We'll introduce Carl Gunther to begin with. Um, Carl is a, um, a company director, a restructuring expert, and a turnaround expert. And he's also the current president of the Turnaround Management Association. G'day, Carl. How are you going? Yeah, good afternoon, Nick. It's uh, very good to be with you this afternoon. Fantastic. Um, what's uh, what 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 keeps um, keeps you busy this week? Uh, well, look, I've I've managed to get in the water a bit, a uh, bit of surfing in the morning, along with uh, everyone else that uh, is doing the same things as me. But um, outside of uh, getting in the water, I'm spending a lot of time uh, working with um, with uh, boards and and CEOs to try and help them uh, navigate uh, a whole bunch of tactical issues they're confronting at this time. And, and that's basically uh, mostly on the phone or Zoom. Yeah. And what, what are the, I mean, is there a common theme in the issues? Uh, um, you know, is it cash flow? Is it sales? Is it just keeping the staff together? Yeah, it's it's all around cash flow. And it's uh, it's it's very much a focus, a lot for a lot of people is to focus on the here and now. But uh, I'm trying to encourage uh, a lot of my clients to also focus on the time when they're going to have to invest in a rebuild of their business because a lot of the value is eroded right now, but really the value will come back if they can uh, fund a rebuild. And so making decisions now around uh, constraints of cash to, to fund them uh, in the future is, is key. And uh, that's a, that to me is a, a recurring theme that I'm seeing. I'm wondering, uh, I mean, one of the, the perennial challenges of, of turnaround management as opposed to insolvency, I mean, insolvency is fine because there's a trigger and you're insolvent, you know. Uh, but the problem with a turnaround manager, it's always about getting in early enough yeah. uh, and, and all that sort of stuff. I'm just wondering, um, with, with this COVID crisis, is it is it maybe accelerating some, some, some situations that may have been turnaround situations in six months' time or insolvency situations in 12 months? Is it bringing some of those things uh, a bit forward? Uh, look, it, it, it is and it isn't. Of course, um, you know, what, what, what you might find or what I'm seeing is that a lot of the, the turnaround and certainly the insolvency practitioners... Uh, Nick uh, aren't as busy as they thought they would be, and so what does that mean? Either either no, everyone's sitting on their hands and doing nothing, which I, I just don't believe. I think probably more importantly, they're they're probably having a go at doing it themselves. Um, there's a lot of compliance stakeholders out there, and so uh, you know I, I would say that people are working on it uh, and they are thinking about the future. Um, I think some some are uh, sticking their heads in the sands, but but a lot of the businesses that I'm working with, they are really, really focused on the future and trying to work out how they can navigate this process. So they are being proactive. They're, they're most likely just doing it doing it themselves, opposed to seeking advice. Yeah, and I'm also interested. Uh, another issue with turnaround management is, you know, in the larger companies uh, where you've got directors who aren't necessarily shareholders, uh, they they they're more likely to engage turnaround external yep. advice. Uh, but in smaller companies, it's a little bit harder to get their attention. So, are you seeing are you seeing turnaround work up and down the sort of the, the food chain? Yeah, so the, the big end of town are normally well advised, uh, yeah. and 
you know, they, they take that advice and it's a function of just getting advice because it's the right thing to do. And uh, But a lot of the time it's for a, a non-executive director of a, a large private or public company. They, they also want to preserve their personal position uh, in respect of the, the corporation's laws. But you, you're right, a, an SME is a, an owner-operator, um, less, less concerned about their personal position, although that remains a high priority. Uh, it's more around just immediate tactical cash flow issues. How do I resolve this issue? What am I focusing on? How do I how do I dialogue with my bank? How do I dialogue with the ATO? Um, how do I look at uh, you know alternative forms of finance? Uh, how do I secure the benefits that the government are passing out? So it's more very tactical and it's immediate regarding their own business um, as opposed to their own personal position. I'll just ask you one more question before um, before we move on to our next guest. Um, someone, I, I was talking to an ATO negotiator e- earlier this week, and they were saying with the larger companies, the ATO is moving back to business as usual in terms of chasing debt, uh, yeah. whereas obviously there was a bit of clemency uh, early on with this COVID thing. Now the ATO, I mean, are you seeing that? Um, I, I'm not seeing it at the big end of town. Um, if, if they've secured a plan or a repayment plan or a, a delayed payment plan, then it's already in place and it's for a period of time. Uh, at the smaller end of town, uh, you know, t- typically the, the response we're getting from the ATO is a verbal acceptance of a particular uh, deferment plan. Yeah. Um, but I suspect, you know, the time will come. It's uh, certainly in the, the four or five cash flows that I've been working with. Uh, you know, cash is pretty good up until September, but then October is when you've got to pay the ATO. It's just a deferment of an obligation. It's nothing more. And uh, and that's when the cash flow constraints really going to hit. And I expect a lot of businesses will put their hand up and ask for a further concession from the ATO. Uh, it's at that time that I think uh, you'll find the ATO will um, be putting a line in the sand depending on, on the, the organisation and, and the position they play in, in the scheme of things. Look, I think uh, with the Australian government's going to have a cash flow problem sooner or later with all the money they've been shelling out. But look, well, thanks for that, Carl. We'll, we'll just put yep. you on hold for a tick and we'll Good move up. on to our, uh, we'll introduce our next guest now. Our next guest will be uh, Dr. John Cummins. Um, Dr. John Cummins is a specialist uh, physician for corporate executives. Uh, g'day, uh, Dr. John. How are you going? Hello, Nick. How are you? I'm, I'm well, thank you. Fantastic. I've been very much enjoying your weekly uh, two-minute um, YouTubes. They've been fantastic. Uh, um, uh, I, I, I see Dr. John myself once a year to get my, uh, uh, my checkup to make sure that uh, my heart isn't about to give out and I'm lo- losing my mental health and he keeps me robust. And uh, um, I, I think um, and he's been doing this interesting series of, uh, of uh, videos for his, uh, for his, for his patients, uh, 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 which has been fascinating. I just wonder, uh, how are you finding things in, in this time? Oh, look, I, I, I think um, my, like our business is probably struggling. Um, and when I talk to my medical colleagues, they are as well, whether that's GPs or specialists. So I think it's, it's an interesting uh, situation where, uh, some businesses are, are doing better, but I think for the majority of businesses, you know, profitability isn't as high. And it's interesting when I, I speak to, you know, we, we look after a lot of business people, not exclusively, um, you know, how the feeling is out there. And I think at the end of the day, I mean, you, you could look at the, there's positives in this as well. And I think some of the positives, for example, I think people, are, a lot of people are actually um, enjoying the the simplicity of life relative to what it was before. I think people are, you're forced to have more time. You can't go to a restaurant, you can't go to a movie. Uh, a lot of people, you know, can't commute back to work again. And so what I, I hear, you know, around where I live in the, you know, up in Paddington is people playing musical instruments that you wouldn't have heard before. 
I hear people saying to me, look, I'm actually enjoying this life a lot better. And I think, you know, people, some people will be questioning how hard and for how long do they want to chase the dollar. Um, so it is it is an opportunity for reflection, but there's also suffering out there. And, and there's, you know, I think we all have concerns about the, the, the suffering. I get asked a lot about how long it lasts, et cetera, and we can talk about that later if you like. Mm. But um, I think most people are confident in what's, I think, what the government has done. They're patiently waiting. Um, and I think there's also some some pent-up demand to get out there and get back into socialisation again because we are a social species. Well, it's, it's interesting, of course. Everybody's baking bread and putting it on uh, on, you, on 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 Facebook. I think you're referring to that a little bit. Uh, I know myself. You'll be very pleased to hear that uh, I've been uh, I've had lots of time to make my Mediterranean uh, Mediterranean diet salads and um, putting them in mason jars for the next day um, and all that sort of stuff. Hey, um, how, how did you go with the fibre? Well, just for context. Uh, um, um, uh, Doctor uh, does a, a weekly um, challenge. The fiber one I didn't get to. I did the I did the um, the, the different colored vegetables, uh, so uh, the purples and the and all that sort of stuff, which is fantastic. They're really great videos. Um, I wonder how much of all those things that you do actually prepare your patients for for this sort of pandemic. I mean, it's not just about heart disease and and uh, and that sort of stuff. I mean, I feel as though what you're doing is preparing people for this out of the box stuff as well. From a physical viewpoint, yeah. Nick, yeah. Look, I was I actually was asked this interesting question. I think it was yesterday. So, one of the things that we want to do is get people get people to be in the best condition they can for life in general. Um, and and clearly, what we we can see. I mean, you're a great example, of Nick, and I've known you over the years. But your physical condition is like someone ten or twenty years, fifteen years younger than your biological age. And the question was, well, if I got COVID now, am I at risk as a 60-year-old, for example, or because my body's like a 45-year-old? You know, and I don't know the answer to that. But mm-hmm. I think, you know, you know, one of the things that we were pushing early on was come in and get your lungs tested, but that's before we stopped doing lung testing because, you, you yeah. know, you could infect someone. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would hope that if someone is in really great physical condition and they're, they're unlucky enough to get this, vaccine, this, this uh, infection, that their um, odds of fighting it off would be a lot better. And that's yeah. the other reason we're pushing the flu vaccine is is it's not the flu, but you don't want to get mm. the flu and the corona at the same time. So yeah. I hope, you know, we're, we're you know, we're, we're encouraging people. Just think about your health. It's the only, it's the greatest asset yeah. you've got. Yes, we've all got business and money, but if you haven't got your health, you've got nothing. Yeah, look, uh, yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, well, look, uh, we'll just park you for a second. Just stay there. We'll come back in a sec, but we'll introduce our next guest. Um, and I must say that one of one of the, the, the great things about uh, Dr Cummins is that um, uh, he might fact-check me on this, but he does prescribe a glass of wine every night as part of the Mediterranean diet, which is a nice segue for Peter McAtamini, who is the principal of Wine Planet Business Solutions. How are you going, Peter? Yeah, good, thank you, Nick. Great to see you. Uh, just a bit of background on Peter. And Peter's when you look at, uh, at, at Peter's experience in the wine game, he's done everything, I guess, from uh, you know from sales and uh, through to uh, strategic management. And now you advise uh, wineries. Um, I guess uh, you, you, you with Frasian at one stage. I guess you advise them all around the world. I guess one of the things about the wine business is it's an export business. So what, what's keeping you busy? Um, what's keeping you busy lately? 
Well, I, I've been coaching my people to run fast. <laughs> <laughs> I first um, met Nick um, at UTS and uh, he got me involved in running the Turnaround Management Association Education Program, which was an enormous amount of fun, introduced me to a lot of clever people. And uh, the reason I got hauled in was that the live case study that Nick was working on was Evans and Tate, which, of course, uh, got rolled into McWilliams, which Cal um, knows all about. So, uh, yeah, that's that's been interesting because when I was teaching that, they we were delivering an education program around a three-stage process, you know, stop the bleeding, perform the emergency surgery and um, get back to recovery. Well, it's amazing. In the space of three weeks, uh, we've run through the first two and we're already running like hell uh, in the recovery process because uh, my clients have really got a once-in-a-generation opportunity to transform their business in that uh, wine in the digital space is going bananas, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, you know, when you look at all the things that have been compromised in terms of what's there to do at home, well, you know, sport's gone. Um, there's not a hell of a lot on TV unless you, you know, get yourself a Netflix subscription or something. There's, uh, you know, I'm, we're going we're gonna to talk about uh, sport a little bit later on, which I hadn't prepared for, but I'm a bit of a, a rugby nut. And, uh, you know, there's five times that uh, Australia beat New Zealand and one time when they nearly did and, and then you've watched that and you've used up all the content, you know. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it's a bit bleak. So people are up for a good time. And uh, the best and, what, what I mean, we're all drinking like fish uh, is one yeah. of the things that, uh, so, I mean, is that, so is this good times for you, for your clients? It is for those people that are organised. I mean, you know, there's there's been a massive um, channel shift, right? So the on-premise, of course, has all but disappeared. The on-premise being restaurants, pubs, clubs, hotels, whatever. Retail... Um, in order to compensate that for that, we, we, I can quote you Australian numbers, but the American ones are more current and more robust. Um, in order to compensate for that, wine needed to be up about 22%, right? right. Um, it is actually up over 30%. So they're in front with that. But in order to be a beneficiary, you would have to have listings with supermarkets, which a lot of the small guys don't have. So what else fills the gap? Well, digital sales are up about three times um, across all countries. So um, wineries are having to learn very, very fast about how to do good digital marketing. And um, <clears throat> that's not difficult because, you know, they're generally fairly small businesses and they have very close personal relationships with their customers and when you get an email that says, hey, you know, we're struggling a bit, can you help us? And you're thinking, well, you know, it's a pretty nice thing that you're asking me to do to, <laughs> to be helpful. So, sure, you know, I'll, I'll buy half a dozen bottles of your wine. It's not going to be any hardship for me. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so there's a lot, of, a lot of people need a lot of help. So I've been having to, you know, make alliances very, very quickly um, yeah. with, digital agencies around the world who is, you know, really get wine and, uh, you know, um, help people with that. There's there's more help in some markets um, than others. In yeah. New Zealand, they've got this wonderful um, concept called the Regional Business Partners Network. And, and what they're like is the um, domestic arm of what is Austrade here. Right. 
and, and every every business gets five grand to help them get through this, which for a small business is quite decent. There's enough money to pay an accountant to do a cash loan. There's enough money to pay me to tell them, you know, how do we switch our strategy around quickly to stay yeah. alive? So okay, well let's uh, okay. Well look, uh, I think that uh, we'll just bring all of the guests together now, if we can do that. Uh, Okie dokie. And there we go. Okay. Um, All right. So I'm just interested, Carl, um, you heard what uh, Peter was saying there about, um, uh, I guess, people changing their businesses and becoming more digital. I mean, is that, I guess that's something that would be very translatable to other businesses that that you'd be looking at as well, both in terms of costs and revenue, I suppose. Yeah, look, uh, look, I agree. I guess the... um to me, so long as you've got the client in focus, um, it can sometimes be pretty hard to change strategy midstream, particularly in a crisis like this. And so, uh, you know, you, you, you've got to always focus on, on the clients that you've already got as opposed to necessarily chasing markets. Certainly that's the advice I've got because it's pretty hard to get a new client in a new market uh, with a new product right in the middle of a crisis. So, um, and it's not to say that people aren't doing it, and you know the wine sector that that's that's fine. But you've you've actually got to be very focused on um, on your existing strategy as opposed to changing a strategy midstream. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, we'll move on to some news pieces here, and our first one is a little video from Gladys Berechiklian yesterday. <clears throat> Just watch this for a tick. Yeah, no, I've been very open about the fact that. Um that I, I don't support the other state premiers uh, closing their borders. That's a matter for them. I'd probably feel offended if they told me how to do my job. But uh, I'm looking forward to those state borders coming down. I uh, often joke with the Queensland Premier that uh, I'll end up going to Auckland before I end up going to Brisbane. So uh, did you all hear that okay? Yep. Fantastic. I might start off with, uh, with um, uh, Dr Cummins. Um, would you jump on an aeroplane at this point in time? Would you, would you feel safe jumping on an aeroplane if, if they do open the borders? Uh, nationally, you mean, or internationally? Yeah. Oh, nationally. Let's, let's keep it national for now. Uh, yeah. Look, nationally, I, I, I would feel pretty comfortable, definitely, because I think our, 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 the prevalence of infection is so, so low um, and I think our healthcare system is in such good shape that, that I wouldn't have a, a problem. I, I, I think just from a personal viewpoint, um, you know, one of my biggest concerns is my mother's 88 and she's in good nick, but, but uh, you know, th- that's the population that we really have to protect and so that's what I'd be mindful of. So I wouldn't have a problem jumping on a plane. I, I would have a very low threshold for getting tested um, and I think the more the better. One of the things that we were able to roll out for our Sydney clients is home testing where you can get a result within 24 hours. But, but nationally I wouldn't have a problem, no. That was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, you were way ahead. Uh, I, I got an email from you as a patient saying that uh, you had this home testing available and that was when people were still panicking about whether or not they could get tested at all. Carl, um, how was how uh, interstate travel uh, restrictions uh, affecting businesses, as you said, particularly, uh, yeah, I guess when you're yeah, trying... If you're trying well, to give mate, advice to a business in Queensland, well, mate, Dr. Happened? John said he would travel because um, I'm on I'm on a plane to Melbourne next week, and um, you know I'm just going to take. I, I figured if I'm armed with my hand sanitizer and my mask, you know what, what the hell could happen? What could possibly go wrong? In my view, um, there's probably more chance of the plane crashing than. No, I shouldn't say that. But anyway, <laughs> I am travelling. Um, but uh, but but look, I think I think 
people tend to adapt. Um, the reason why I'm going is because I really do need to get some face time with, uh, with, with someone. Um, it's just better when you're in the room uh, around a particular topic that I'm, I'm working with. Um, but, but I think we're all, we're all adapting. I, I guess, um, you know, a number of my clients who have, have a distributed network of, uh, of branches, those branches are, they're, they're still open and running. And in fact, their business is, is, uh, They've had no change, material change in their business. They uh, they're functioning. Uh, what they are doing is is um, is planning in the event that uh, they get an outbreak, and that's kind of that's that's kind of their risk management approach. Um, mm. So that's that's kind of it. I mean, I guess if for a lot of businesses, they have shut down and, and told people to go work from home, and and people are adapting by and large. And uh, P- Peter, in your business, I, I guess because uh, you know a lot of the nature of your stuff is is uh, all over the place in terms of New Zealand, Australia and around the world. So, you'd be, I mean, do you travel a lot? Or does this oh, look, you know, I'm, I'm suffering withdrawals. You know, I normally travel 120 days of the year. So yeah. I was listening to the news last night and they were talking about the poor people who no longer had a job who used to make up all the airline meals. And I think, well, hang on a minute. There's a great value innovation opportunity here. I mean, uh, there's a lot of uh, Qantas people and uh, people preparing those meals. I mean, you could imagine that uh, if there was a truck that pulled up outside that was all done up like a Qantas plane and then uh, get a couple of hosties to wheel the meal in, uh, it'd be the chicken or beef, so it'd be low cost. Uh, they could charge you 10 bucks for a beer, so it'd be high margin. Uh, they could pat that out with a lot of free samples from, uh, you know, eager people who wanted to get this product in front of people. It'd be awesome, you know. <laughs> Plus, uh, yeah, plus plus some wines, of course. All right, look, we'll, we'll move on to our next. Uh, we'll move on to our next one. Uh, okay, now this uh, just a bit of a change in tone. We've got this uh, um, this job keeper, obviously, um, the, the, whatever it is, seven hundred and fifty dollars a week, and it's starting to flow through, and uh, it, it, it seems to be keeping a lot of businesses afloat. That's for sure. Um, and now there's people are starting to talk about whether or not JobKeeper should be extended or, you know, whether or not it's costing us too much and it should be reined in. But just that, that article on the right-hand side of screen there, uh, a lot of jobs won't be there when JobKeeper ends. Um, I mean, Carl, what, 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 what do you think? I mean, do you, do you think that um, some businesses are just keeping things going until JobKeeper runs out? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, look, it, it's been uh, – it's, it's avoided a mass panic of just – complete shutdown and uh you know on, on one spectrum it's a it's a massive pr exercise by government on the other it's actually a bona fide means by which to keep businesses uh, alive i think if if there aren't going to be jobs there when JobKeeper ends then there shouldn't if if that's the case if in a lot of those circumstances then JobKeeper should end because the jobs aren't there in the first place and the whole idea of JobKeeper is to try and keep the jobs in place you know my, my sense is it has been beneficial uh, but my view is that it, there has to be an end date. People need to come to terms with how they're going to manage this process. So I don't think you can you can keep running the economy off the back of a government welfare purse. Yeah, well, that's interesting. What what about uh, in, in your sector, Peter? Is, is are there a lot of uh, wine wine businesses uh, accessing JobKeeper? Or yeah, well, I think you know people have got to be really innovative about this in terms of how do you kick the whole supply chain along. And there was a very interesting article in the news this morning where they were talking about what the Chinese government are doing and providing subsidies through reducing the cost of goods to get those goods out into the supply chain, to get all those people working around delivering that stuff, and to get people out and buying stuff again. And um, 
uh, you know, every, every business has got to think about how they do that, how they keep people engaged. So, you know, they're not just taking a salary, but they're actually doing something. And in the US, for example, people that are working in salad oils and selling wines there are doing exactly the same thing at home. And, and this is, you know, what I mean by digital, one arm of it. So they're not actually doing new things for new customers. They're doing exactly the same thing, but they're finding a new way to do it. But at the same time, they're keeping their skills up, they're keeping their connections up, they're, they're keeping going, they're just finding a different way to do it. Yeah. And, you know, that this, you could argue, is the biggest risk with the whole job keeper thing. I mean, it's this whole thing about giving people money for not necessarily doing too much. Um, I think every business has got to think, well, how do we absolutely optimise the use of the people that we've got on the payroll now? Because that was the idea of the job keeper. Um, rather than just simply putting everybody on the dole, how, how do we get the most out of people? How do we keep everyone engaged? How do we take them as close to getting the business fully operational at that end point as what we can? I wonder, uh, Dr Cummins, uh, apart from putting us on the treadmill and taking our blood samples and all that sort of stuff, you also uh, you also give us questionnaires on, on our mental health. Um, I mean, one thing that, you know, I, I just wonder, you know, what, what, what are you seeing in terms of mental health and, you know, people maybe, you know, sitting at home, a lot of people are very busy working from home, of course, but some people aren't. Um, what, what are you seeing there? Look, I, I think our, our practice tends to draw, you know, people that are interested in their, in their health uh, and fairly resilient people. So I think what I'm seeing is not representative. Um, right. So I'm seeing people, you know, for example, uh, you know, the majority of people I've seen as clients in the last three weeks, I would say the majority are in industries where they are struggling as well, but they're mentally robust. But I think um, what I, I would agree with with Peter, there's there's always opportunity in danger or, or crisis, and I think our business has taken the opportunity to look at how can we communicate with our clients better. I think the government did a great job by putting out MBS items for telehealth, telemedicine. Right. Um, it's always been ridiculous to me to force a person to come in for a Lipitor prescription. They've been on it for five years and waste their time and the GP time, etc. One of the things that I would caution, though, um, is so I think some really great things are going to come out of this. But I think Australia is going to have a problem, very broad brush statements. Everyone's going to put on a few kilos uh, and everyone... I think with the alcohol perspective, and, and Peter or, or someone may not like this, but I think we're at risk of habituating alcohol drinking. Um, mm. and, and, and what can happen, I, I heard that BWS sales are up 300%, is that, that you can inadvertently set up an habitual pattern. And I'm not talking alcohol dependence from a physiological sense, but it can just play havoc with cancer risk and weight gain and things like that. And so... I would see now as a time for more discipline in mm. terms of, you know, I'm seeing people that have put on weight, you know, in terms of watching where your weight is, watching calorie intake and, 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 and drinking very consciously, not mindlessly. But, but you know, it's probably all I can say, but there is suffering out there and I don't want to you know, diminish that just because I'm not personally seeing a lot of it. There's got to be massive suffering out there. I must say that, uh, you know, getting to a point that Peter, Peter was making, I mean, I travel a lot. And I must say one of the things of not being able to travel is certainly you can build some routines into your life. We'll just move on to the next one now. Oh, yeah, this is an interesting one. So this is the Grim Reaper uh, standing in the Centrelink queue. Uh, 
lining up to get the yeah to get the handouts along with everybody else. Um, uh, what's he saying there? Thought you'd be flat out. Um, now, Carl, we, we've got uh, lots of friends in the insolvency uh, industry, yeah. and, and you know, as accountants or uh, in legal practitioners as well. And um, this whole crisis hasn't quite precipitated uh, the company collapses that they were anticipating, has it? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I love this uh, this one. I think it's uh, it's it's so true. A lot of a lot of insolvency practitioners uh, that I'm aware of. Let's face it; they, they're not that busy. And as I said before, I think there's uh, quite an element of uh, do-it-yourself restructuring. Uh, as I said, government's throwing money at businesses, uh, so to, the banks are very supportive. Uh, the ATO is very supportive, um, and so they're, they're taking on the responsibility themselves, which is which in and of itself is not a bad thing. Uh, but mm-hmm. the time will come, and I, I suspect this is more just a uh, uh, a case of um, uh, delay rather than. Uh, a non-consumption of these types of uh, services. There, there will be a time when these the insolvency practitioners will be busy. I've, I've no doubt about it. Um, and so I don't think there should be any sympathy vote. If anyone's looking for it, there's probably not going to be any sympathy vote, certainly in the next three or four months, uh, because those guys will be busy. They just will. And certainly turnaround and restructuring professionals are busy more broadly, and they will continue to be busy. I'm busy, and I know my colleagues at the TMA are, are very busy as well. Well, I know some of your colleagues at the TMA are extremely busy, um, but yep. uh, obviously uh, th- those ones are involved with with, uh, with Virgin. Um, yeah, look, uh, yeah, look, it, it's, it's it, I would say another thing, it's not just the insolvency people, but certainly uh, special situations and workout fund managers uh, are also, uh, you know, are also waiting for, uh, for, for the other shoe to drop. Mm. So there's a lot of stuff lining up and people talking about stuff, but certainly all these, uh, all these government handouts, et cetera, are uh, keeping, keeping the ball rolling. What have we got next there? Uh, okay, now this is an interesting one. I, I didn't... Yeah, I mean, look, we could talk for hours, uh, especially Carl, I'm sure, about whether or not you'd like to be the turnaround consultant to uh, to, to Rugby Australia. I bet you'd have some fun there, but we, we won't quite get into that. I'm just wondering um, about uh, restarting sport. I, look, I understand that the uh, West Australia Football League, the Waffle, is restarting in a couple of weeks, and so I'm certainly going to be uh, watching that one carefully. What 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 do you think, um, Dr Cummins, about, about people playing sport again? Look, it's higher risk for infection, and particularly um, these contact sports because you're in people's faces, there's exchange of body fluids, whether it's sweat, spit, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, And I I just wonder how they're getting a Guernsey or or the league in in the eastern states um, and what's behind that versus, versus other sports. It seems to be fairly selective. So... I think for the players' sake and for the employees within those industries, you know, ab- absolutely. But I'm just sitting on the sidelines, metaphorically bemused as to how, how do they get this far down the track in, in, in a sport where if someone's going to get corona, you would think that the rate of transmission should be a lot higher during a physical contact game like that. But, you know, look, they're young and fit and there's a lot of older, unfit people sitting at home. Uh, I mean, I just wonder if it's good for the mental health of, uh, of, of, of society. Uh, oh no! Look, look, look! Agree, but but look, I think it it the the whole get out of jail card. I think is going to depend on is there a vaccine? Well, I think we all accept that that may take twelve to eighteen months, may never happen. Yeah. Uh, uh, is there good drug therapy to 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 manage a breakout? Well, the hydroxychloroquine, you know, that didn't seem to work. We don't know about the antivirals. So yeah. I, I think it's going to basically boil on to. 
um, from a public health perspective, I think what's going to happen is the lid's going to be lifted as it is. You know, we're going yeah. to a restaurant tomorrow night, for example, like you and yeah. me, Nick, me and my wife. And, yeah. um, and, 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 and I've, I've downloaded the COVID Safe app. Now, yeah. from a public health perspective, for me, it's a no-brainer. I don't care if people know whether I run through Hyde Park or not. Yeah. Regardless, yeah. you know, what yeah. the app is, the, 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 what, what I think will happen is there will be little breakouts, okay? But yeah. if, if public health can jump in the breakout quickly, isolate people, get others in the hospital if they need to, that's how this thing will be managed in the long term. And, yeah. and, and I don't know that we have the breakout mechanism down pat yet for mm. the league and union AFL players to be spreading mm. it to my grand, you know, my mum or other old grannies and things like that. I shouldn't say old grannies. Yeah. Well, look, there was a UFC fight the other day on what do they what do they call it? UFC Island. But uh, look, we we've got um, we we do have a couple of other headlines. Yeah, before we move on to that, I'll just quickly ask Carl: Is there is there much um, turnaround work in, the, in in these sporting organisations, or are they DIYing or? Yeah, no, no, they definitely, you know, they definitely, so obviously the, the rugby union's going through some pain. I'm sure there's a whole range of advisors in uh, with the AFL as well as uh, as, as, as well as the NRL. Uh, look, I, I think, um, look, ultimately the product will be there, but uh, uh, it's it's a very, very difficult game right now, um, both on the field as well as as well as in the in the balance sheets and P&Ls of, of the boardrooms. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, the products themselves have, need to change. Uh, you know, my, just back to Dr John's comment, I think um, the, the thing that I see out of all of this is we're expected to exercise, the, pup, the punters are expected to exercise social distancing and yet these guys can go out. It, to me, it just doesn't set a good example right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and and for that reason alone, I, I know it's an industry. I know there's jobs at stake. Yeah. I know, you know, they, I've often heard it, well, you see the mining industry is still mining, so why can't we still play footy? It's very different in my perspective. Uh, yeah. So, okay. All right. Well, look, we're just we're just we're just running out of time, so we'll just uh, see what else we've got. Uh, this uh, this one um, business pushed to downsize post pandemic, and that article goes into a whole bunch of things. I mean, commercial real estate might be in all sorts of trouble. Um, so this this one really just focuses. We'll just we'll just do a quick uh, go around on what do you think? Uh, how will business look different when we come out of this? I'll start with you, Peter. Mm. Yeah, well, I think for my people, well, as I've already alluded to, they're going to be putting a lot more effort into the digital side of things. Um, I don't think they'll fundamentally change who works in the business and on the business. I mean, it's a unique business. I don't think there's another one like it where you're involved in manufacturing, you're involved in primary production, you're involved in sales, marketing and business general management. And you know, the average um, bottom line on those businesses is sort of 6 to 8%. They wouldn't need anybody that was listening as investment threshold a lot of the time, and they run them very, very lean. So yeah. I don't think that they'll um, change the people very much, but what those people do I think will change fundamentally and the channels that they focus on and um, the technology that they need to make those channels work will be the most important thing going forward because people have learned to buy stuff online and people have formed much closer connections, um, you know, through the course of this and that's where the easy sales are. 
Well, I must say, look, I mean, uh, anyone that knows me knows that uh, on a Friday I'm usually uh, at a lunch table somewhere surrounded with, uh, you know, with people in my network, and this is how we've had to adapt by uh, by doing this as a way of, uh, of getting around people instead. Uh, Carl, I mean, what 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 do you think? I mean, I, I wonder about some of those large uh, accounting and legal firms and uh, what their space requirements are going to be going for. But what do you? I mean, what do you think will fundamentally change after all of this? Yeah, well, look, I think uh, certainly. Certainly, we, don't, we won't need the same office space that we had before. Uh, there'll be a lot more flexibility in the way that uh, people are telecommuting. Uh, and certainly, the big firms, having, having just left as a partner from KPMG, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know how the logistics will work when you can only allow two people in the lift uh, in those buildings. They're pumping, pumping <laughs> heaps, of, heaps of people. So my, my sense is they'll spend a lot more time scheduling time in the office um, and uh, you know, only if it's necessary for face-to-face will 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 people be there. I think that mm-hmm. most of the time, you know, as a business model going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I yeah. just think that's the way it is. Which which has problems for commercial uh, landlords. Um, yeah. yeah, there'd be some reeks there, yeah. and, and other spaces. Yeah. All right. Well, look, uh, Dr. Cummins, we're going to give the last word to you. Yeah. What um, what may, not necessarily on this topic, but just on anything that we've spoken about, just for the last yeah. Look, I, I think that the world will be different in ways that we can't imagine. I, I agree with, with Peter and Carl. The only other thing we haven't spoken about is, is, is you know, how will, the, how will this play out globally? So I think there's two issues. We're, we're managing it nationally, but how do you and when do you open the borders? And, and I can't really see that happening until you've got a 10-minute COVID off-the-fence yes-no test you know, which should be a nightmare for border security because you've got to stop mm. this thing from coming in. Now, mm. clearly every business, and probably more the, the large ones, are going to have to have a risk management strategy in place again because it will happen again. And mm. you, you, watch the, you watch the national borders go up, how quickly it'll be next time. It won't be a week, it'll be bang within 24 hours. And so I think the companies uh, will all have a risk strategy around that, which may fundamentally change um, you know, how HR and, and how resources are allocated in the present time. All right. Well, look, on that note, uh, well, yeah, look, I've, I've still got two overseas trips plan- uh, booked for the, the end of this year, and I'm staying optimistic that, uh, uh, look, the glass, is half, the glass is half full. On that note, look, we'll, we'll wrap it up. And uh, thank you very much, uh, Peter McIntamini, Carl Gunther, and uh, Dr John Cummins. Thank you very much for joining us. It's been a fascinating discussion. And thank, thank you to everybody who's uh, watching live and to those of you uh, watching later on YouTube or li- listening on the podcast, you can subscribe to this on Apple, uh, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. And um, that's all for me. Thank you very much. Look forward to uh, seeing everybody next time. Cheers. Great. Thanks, Thanks. Thanks.